Welcome to A Certain Age, a show for women on life after 50 who are unafraid to age out loud. I'm your host, Katie Fogarty. Have you ever cyber-stalked or fangirled someone from afar? I'm going to guess yes, because middle school and the internet. We've all paid attention to women we think are killing it, right? That's how we learn all the good stuff. Today's guest is somebody I fangirled for years. When Kristen Van Ogtrop was editor-in-chief of Real Simple, which she made into the number one American women's lifestyle magazine, I would devour it each month and look forward to her editor's notes. I can still remember in 2010 when Kristen shared the debut of her first book about working motherhood. It was titled, Just Let Me Lie Down. And as the exhausted mother of three kids ages 10, seven, and three, I was all, that is my book title but she got there first. And she's done it again. Her newest book is The Marvelous, Hilarious, Did I Say That Out Loud? Midlife Indignities and How to Survive Them. This is a book your partner does not want you to read in bed because you'll be shaking with uncontrollable laughter when you're not nodding in vigorous agreement. Welcome, Kristen. Thank you, Katie. Um, It's really nice to be here with you. Annette, intro was so generous and amazing and i think i might have to like transcribe it and put it under my pillow uh, well, we'll and print read it, it again every single night before <laughs> i fall asleep <laughs> i'll print it out and send you a frame copy no, i'm serious i'm so so excited I, I vividly remember that first title and was like i just have loved you ever since but my my first question as we get going is like how did you get inside my brain because when i read this current <laughs> book i was like wait a minute Kristen needs to be on my show. I felt a thousand points of connection. You talk about reinventing in midlife and, you know, uh, how you feel young when your body feels old, the struggling to use the remote. I'm like, I, this is my life. Okay. So I I felt very seen. Yeah. Uh, I have a very fraught relationship with my remote, but, and which could be a whole book. Um, How did I get inside your head? Well, um, I could make a joke about like secret robots that we send by drone <laughs> to your house at night, but it's actually, it's actually a little more prosaic than that. Um, I mean, when I was the editor of Real Simple, which you, you know, which you mentioned, uh, and I wrote that monthly editor's letter, it, I had the, the, one of the most satisfying things about that job, which I had for a long time, 13 years, which is longer than I've done anything basically except for be a mother and be married I guess maybe and live in the house I live in now um women would write in and say I feel like you could be my friend I know exactly what you're talking about you're describing my life and so I think it it I mean it helped me I think be good at that job but it also kind of underscored for me this universal truth that like that I think you know, particularly when you're talking about people who are your age um, and who more or less live in similar circumstances, right? Um, without going into too much detail about that, it, it the people are more similar than they are different. Yes. You know, and, 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 and obviously in that job, I mean, we were catering to an American audience of women who didn't have to worry, you know, that they were going to be taken hostage in the middle of the night. You know what I mean? Like the, it was a fairly, it was a, um, an audience of relative privilege compared to a lot of people on this planet. But, um, and, and so in living in that space, we, we all have so many things in common, Absolutely. you know, and you and I are at, at a very similar life stage. I mean, your kids are, are younger than mine. 
um, mostly, but, um, you know, I feel like it's comforting to know that, that many of the things that you go through, particularly the things that feel hard are shared by a lot of people around you. It makes you feel better. Absolutely. I mean, one, some of my favorite notes to receive from people who listen to the show are people saying things like, I feel seen. I, I, I got a Facebook message from somebody who said, you know, you are speaking my language. Like, I feel like you're inside my brain. And and it, it, it does feel wonderful to that you that you connect with people. And, and everything in your books just spoke to me so much. Why did you decide to write about midlife? Oh, <laughs> just a, a big, easy uh, question, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, the, the easiest answer is because that's the part of life I'm living right now. Um, the, the probably uh, more, I don't know, an answer that became clearer over time, I guess, particularly as I was finishing the book and now we're getting ready to publish the book, is that what I really want women and the readers of my book will probably mostly be women to feel when they read the book is this abiding sense of gratitude and optimism. I mean, there's a lot of like bitching about middle age and, you know, I'm at like the front of the line there. It's certainly in certain chapters of this book, but I think that the one nice thing that, um, to me, one of the nicest things about middle age is, is the realization, which on its face seems like a very sad realization that your time is really finite, but I feel like it makes you grateful. Like it makes you grateful to be able to like wake up every day, you know? And, and so even though there's like stupid crap about middle age that, that is annoying, you're also just happy that, that your life is, is mostly good on most days, you know, and mostly good the bar gets lower. <laughs> so <laughs> so um, much lower. So much lower. <laughs> you know, it's like, for me, a great night's sleep is just like, that's, that's what I, that's what I crave these days. You know, it's that, that funny meme that goes around, like all the things that were punishments when you were young, like going to bed early and staying home on a Saturday <laughs> night are the things that you are so excited about now. So we do have a, a little bit of a low bar. And uh, I think your title does it sort of a very fun nod to that. You know, did I say that out loud? Because saying things out loud is not always easy, but I feel as we get older, it's really necessary. And that, well, that, that, that gets the connection, that sort of sense of community that you talk about. But also, I think that, I mean, I don't know if this is true for you, but, um, and I write, there's a chapter in my book about aging parents, and I write about this quality that my father has where he is so completely himself as a human being and, and unembarrassable, right? Like he'll, <laughs> he'll do these things and, and it, he just, he doesn't, and he's a really good guy. Like he's not an ogre, terrible man. Like he's a very nice person and a good person, but he'll do these sometimes really annoying things and he doesn't care he he doesn't care. He's just completely unselfconscious. He's so like self he's so conscious of who he is that he's unselfconscious. It's like flipped or something. Has he and always so, been like that or is it like something that he evolved into because I feel like I can still be embarrassed and I'm 51. I want to like work my way up to being unembarrassable. <laughs> when did well, that happen? Okay, so I well I don't know. I'm 50. I'll be 57 next month. So maybe between the ages of 51 and 57, it happens because 
it definitely happened for my father over time. And I think it has happened for me. Like I'll say things sometimes now in a work meeting and later I'll think, oh God, that was just really a stupid thing to say. And I don't care. Or, or like not an offensive things to say, but something that where I sound kind of judgy or like really aggressive or something. And I'll think, oh, who cares? <laughs> <laughs> and when, like 10 years ago, I probably would have thought, Kristen, you should care. You should care. But now I think, and so I think that sort of speaks to the title, like you say things that are in your head. And I think that the older you get, the more those things that are in your head come out and it's okay. <laughs> I love that. I, I feel like I've, I definitely have gotten better. I am very much capable of being embarrassed, but I, I'm also much better about forgiving myself. So while I might be embarrassed, I'm not going to beat myself up. So yeah. I, I'm kind of well, like, I'm, I'm working up there. Like I've, I've given it, I'm able to forgive myself very quickly and move on in ways that I definitely could not do when I was younger, when I would be up like torturing myself about, you know, decisions or what I said or, you know, what I did or what I didn't do. And that that's that's over. That that ship is really sailed. So so I do love that. I well, love that. and I think and, and just to clarify, it's not that I'm not capable of feeling embarrassed. I'll tell you when I still feel embarrassed. If I've done something that seems unkind, but in the moment I don't realize it's unkind, but later I think oh, that wasn't a very kind way to react to that, whatever that person was saying, or you, you see someone in pain and you think you could have done better to try to help them feel better. Um, then I feel, I, so I still feel embarrassed in those situations when I think I seem unkind. But other than that, like if I, if I do something stupid and I look foolish, I'm not embarrassed anymore. Right. Well, that's a, that's a wonderful distinction. And, and, I, and I agree, you know, that to when you can to choose to be kind. And it's hard. We're, we're living in a deeply unkind moment of time. Sometimes it feels mm. like so it's it's you know, I, I get that. I totally get that. I absolutely loved uh, chapter 11 of your book. And anyone who's listening to this right now needs to go out and, and order this book immediately, if only for chapter 11, which, which is things <laughs> things fall apart because it is. Oh. Like screamingly laugh out loud funny. I'm not kidding. My husband was like grumpy because I was laughing so hard reading this because I think anyone north of 40 can relate to this. Um, what do you cover in this chapter for people who haven't read it yet? And, and why did you choose to write about some of these things? Okay, so so for people who have not already rushed out and bought my book. Um, <laughs> and what are you waiting 11... for? Get going. <laughs> chapter 11, Things Fall Apart, is about, um, it's about things breaking down both in your physical self and in the world around you. And, and, it's, and it, it starts out with the story of when I hit my, one of the big, one of my, the heels of one of my feet hit the big toe of my other foot and my toenail broke off. And I was like, oh, for God's sakes, like I just like everything is breaking. And so I cover, you know, root canals and colonoscopies and, and just the things that these sort of unpleasant turns that your body takes. Um, but I, you know, I try to do it in sort of a funny way, I guess, but because like, what are you going to do, Katie? Like, you know, nothing, 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 right? right? Like you have to laugh at it. Cause otherwise, what are you going to do? It's only going to get worse. Like I keep telling my husband, this is only going to get worse. Um, but it's also just about how we don't like my husband and I are super lazy about maintenance. 
Um, whether I, it's like our cars. I'm or so related to this. I was like nodding, <laughs> nodding, nodding. I'm like, do not like to maintain. Do not like to maintain. <laughs> yeah. It's so relatable. It's so relatable. Well, because it doesn't like, I think, I don't know. I, I, I think, the, again, going to the bar being low, like you get to the point, whether it's like changing the oil in your car or getting, you know, really paying attention to why your tooth hurts and do you need to go to the endodontist? And, and there's like the tipping point becomes maybe further along the scale, not, which is like totally mixing metaphors, I guess, as you get older, like I, I've, I used to be so on top of, I used to be just a lot more organized about things like that. And now as I got, I've gotten older, I think it doesn't really matter as much. Like if, if the tooth pain gets so bad that I can't, bear it, then I will go to the endodontist. <laughs> or, you know, like my car is not going to run out of oil. So maybe I don't get the oil changed as quickly as I need to. Like the car is still going to run. So it's so cavalier. And and I guess if you're coming from a place, place of relative privilege, going back to what I was saying at the beginning, you can be cavalier, right? Right. Um, and so it just sounds bratty probably to even admit that out loud. No, but. I think you're saying cavalier, but I, when I, what I hear is clarity. You know, you just get clearer on the things that you care about. Uh, so that's the way I feel. You know, you, you're clear about like what you need to prioritize and things that you don't. And in fact, in your last chapter, you kind of t- you know go through some of these lessons, like things that really matter, lessons you learned, you know, things that uh, don't go the way you thought they were going to go. And, you know, it's just like a wonderful um, sort of snapshot of, of things that um, we should we should be focusing on. I do think that midlife produces clarity in some ways that that we don't have when we're younger. What's your well, take on that? I think that, yes. Oh, 100%. I, I 100% agree, agree with you. I think, too, that that um, going back to you saying, like, how important a good night's sleep is, you know, I think that the things that comfort you or make you feel good begin to trump other things. Like, I walk around my house, and we we've lived in this house for almost 20 years, and it hasn't been painted in like over a decade. And I like, I walk along and I see the paints chipped everywhere and the woodwork and stuff. And like, I could really be on top of that and, and like figure out a way to either paint it myself or hire someone to paint it. But I don't like, I kind of stopped noticing it and my house is comfortable to me. And I have like a big comfortable chair where I can watch TV with a dog in my lap. And that's like super great. (laughs) So it allows me to not think about the chipped paint, I guess. I don't know. Or it's just laziness or it's increased laziness, which is also a definite possibility. Well, I, you know, I think that uh, there, there's something to be said for being lazy. And that's a problem for the, your future homeowner. You know, you're, you're focused on the things that matter, like snuggling up with your dog. I, I totally get that and I love it. Um, I want to take a very quick break. And when we return, I want to hear, um, Kristen, about what were some of the tougher chapters to write? You know, what was the hardest thing that you had to say out loud? Okay. Menopause is inevitable, but the symptoms that accompany it don't have to be. Meet Kindra, the company that will make your peri to post-menopause journey smoother. Kindra has an amazing online quiz, which helps identify where you are in your menopause transition. I so love this customization because my experience with menopause looks different from some of my friends. On the very first episode of A Certain Age, I shared that I never had a hot flash, but I did experience bouts of what doctors call mood instability, what actually felt more like waves of toxic rage. All through April, A Certain Age is exploring the theme of out loud, 
and having candid conversations that no one talks about. Menopause, rage, and dry vagina should probably top that list. I've been taking Kindra's scientifically formulated estrogen-free supplements, and they are helping my sleep, mood shifts, and energy. They also have a daily vaginal lotion for dryness, which people rave about. Kindra's products target all of those frustrating signs of menopause that get in the way of vibrant living. Kindra has a great offer for a certain age listeners. Any first-time purchasers or subscribers get 20% off anything. Use code KD20 at checkout. That's K-A-T-I-E-2-0. Head to ourkindra.com for wellness that works. So Christian, what was the hardest thing to write about, the hardest thing to say out loud in this book? Well, the hardest chapter to write was the one about my friend dying, um, which even, you know, when I was, I have a friend who died of a lo- after a long battle with cancer now, gosh, a year and a half ago. And uh, he was, he's the wife of a, uh, the, he was the husband of a, of a dear friend and someone who, you know, my husband and I spent a lot of time with over the years. And, and so, you know, it, I mean, I think one of the hard things, going back to what I was saying about how you reach this age and you know that your time is finite. I mean, part of what makes you see that is, be, is that you lose friends who are your age. And so that chapter was a very hard. Still, I, I get very sad when I read it. And when I was reading my audio book, I had, I kept crying and I had to keep stopping in the audio, the audio book guys were probably, were probably like, what the hell lady? But, um, so that one was hard to write just cause it makes me really sad. Um, and then the other, the other chapter that was hard to write again, because it is sad to me was about, um, at the end of 2016, we were a huge dog family. We have two dogs. We always have two dogs. And we had a dog who was at that time, a little over a year old, and he drowned, um, in the Adirondacks. Um, and we didn't, it took a long time for us to understand what had happened to the dog. We didn't see him go under the ice. It was during the winter. And so, um, that was a long journey with my family. And it was kind of the first thing for my kids where they had experienced, like we, you know, I mean, Katie, we've talked about this, how lucky it is to be this age and have parents who are alive, right? Which I write about in the book too. And so my kids, their grandparents are all still alive. And this was the first time we'd had for my kids a, a loss within the family. And in my mind, it was like, it was very sad. Part of me was like, oh, it's a dog. But to my kids, it wasn't just a dog, you know? And, and so that was, that was hard to write about just because there were so many layers to that story. Um, because it was about this sad early loss of, of this puppy, but also, you know, how you parent through something like that and reexamine what's, what, how, you define what a tragedy is compared to how your kids define what a tragedy is. I kept, I mean, I write about this in the book. I kept calling it a small tragedy when the dog drowned and my oldest son got so mad at me eventually. And he said, stop calling it a small tragedy. Cause to him, it didn't feel like a small tragedy. Sure. Um, anyway, sorry, that's a no. long answer, but I would say those chapters were the hardest. It's so hard I, to to sort of explore you know pain like that and, and to, to to excavate it and that 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 I think is something that we 
when you get to this age, that's that informs the gratitude, as you said. You know why we're grateful for our lives because we 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 see that um, you know that there is loss and that we've we've all sort of navigated it. I I, I do love the way you write about your children in this book. It's so <laughs> I, they they so vividly come to life. Um, you know, everything from like navigating like teen, like pot smoking and like when to let them drink in the house and just the thing about, you know, Fortnite and, and becoming this like expert Fortnite player. I was dying because I've had all of these conversations, you know, with my own children in my own life. And I'm just curious. You talk about the three stages of parenting in one of your chapters, and it's absolutely genius. I would love it if you could just quickly share those stages of parenting with the audience. But I also want to know, like, do your kids, you know, read your books? Are they, you know, are they into them? My, my kids don't listen to my podcast. So I'm just curious oh, yeah. if you've been able to, like, work it out. I'm not sure my kids even know what I do for a job, frankly, um, which I think is healthy. Like, I, I think, I think. Um, anyway, so, so the book about uh, children, uh, sorry, the, the chapter rather about children is called Your Children the disappointment (laughs) and it describes the three phases of parenting, which are (laughs) phase one is when your children are going to be everything you ever dreamed they would be, you know, super amazing creatures. Um, this sort of like platonic ideal of this thing you've given birth to. And then that, so that's phase one. Phase two is when your children disappoint you. So it turns out they're actually not, they're, they're actually not geniuses, <laughs> not geniuses. They're actually normal, probably pretty well adjusted people, but they're just like kind of average. Right. And so that's super disappointing because of course you thought you were giving birth to this, you know, like spectacular creature and your kid is average. And then the third, um, the third phase of parenting is your children make you disappointed in yourself. Um, and that is when you realize how many ways they are just better people than you are. Um, and so anyway, so those are the three phases of parenting, at least in my experience, you know, my oldest son is 25 and my youngest is 14. All bo- I have all boys. Um, and as to your question about whether they read, you know, they really, they have, they have, they've got basically, they're supportive but they have very limited interest in what mom does. And that includes when mom writes about them. So I, there were times, you know, my, the, the publisher had, as I think is probably always the case, like a lawyer vet, you know, the book for me. And there were times when, um, well, for them, I guess, for them and for me. Not <laughs> they, like I read they've lawyered up. They're like, wait a minute, let's see this. <laughs> I mean, not like I mean, you've read it, Katie. It's not yeah. like I'm writing about things that you know, like I'm not Woody Allen. I'm not going to write about these like really crazy Good. things and get sued or whatever, right? So it's just like whatever. Anyway, so so the lawyer, we're going through the manuscript, and she like we get to the section about children, and she's like, so. You know, you say this about your son Axel, who is who is uh, now fourteen, and she's like, I I wonder if you want to soften that a little bit. That's <laughs> so funny. <laughs> and I was like, you know, I have a really good relationship with my kids, so I don't think they're going to like sue me for anything or like you know send me a cease and desist letter or whatever it is that happens. But um, I don't think I'm not sure that any of my kids, including my two older boys, 
have read any part of this book, including the chapter about them. And when, you know, when we were getting further along and I was in like the copy editing stage and stuff, I would say to them, okay, guys, like you're running out of time here. Like you either read it and you tell me what your objections are now or like you're done. We're printing you it. Know? We're, printing, we're it. printing it. And my, but my husband, I will say my husband who has a much more finely calibrated sensitivity meter than his boorish wife (laughs) and he and he's really really super as he should be as we both are but in different ways I guess protective of our children and um he's also much more sensitive to uh, he's just more sensitive he's better at it than I am and so so he read it and there were a couple of places that he said "Eh, I'm not sure you should put that in or why don't you just change that a little bit so I feel like he was like the safety net for the kids. Nice. I love it. So anyway. I you know, that's it's so wonderful that he kind of weighed in and gave you the little like nudge, took out the uh, pink eraser and <laughs> did a little <laughs> did a little line editing for you. Uh, but no, it's so beautiful. And in the phase of parenting when you talk about how you become disappointed in yourself because you're you know, your kids are just so such kind and wonderful and just like fully evolved humans, you know, I feel squarely in that parenting space where I feel like the pandemic has at different times revealed things about me where I'm like, I am not being the person that I want to be during this parenting experience. And my kids are like far outpaced me in terms of their like flexibility and their patience and their just, you know, wonderful role with it. and, And just like, I don't know, humanity. So I, I I really related to what you what you shared and the phases of parenting. For anyone who's listening on to this episode who's a parent, you'll you'll adore this chapter as well. It's full of just fantastic insights. Oh, well thank you. I also think too, when your kids get to be in say their twenties as mine two older ones are, they start to they understand enough about human nature that they really um like they, they they understand all your tricks, right? Like they know, like when I'm behaving badly because, you know, no one puts their dishes in the dishwasher or whatever, and I have it in a, a, probably a an outsized reaction to that, my kids will know like, oh, it's because mom's having a bad day for this other reason. It's not about the dishes. It's about something else. And and so they, they call you on your bullshit behavior sometimes and they're right you know and so that's both sort of gratifying because they have great emotional intelligence and and infuriating (laughs) (laughs) exactly you're like wait a minute i know it's funny um right when the new year rolled around i wrote my kids uh each just a one-page letter and i was sort of inspired Mm. by one of my guests nancy davis co who wrote a book called the thank you project and she celebrated turning 50 by writing 50 thank you letters to the people in her life. And I actually wrote them to my kids and to my husband. And I just like left them on their pillow. And I just wanted to thank them for how they helped me get through this like shitty pandemic year. And mm-hmm. to my son, Milo, my middle guy, I just said, you know, like, thank you for your core kindness when I was being like deeply unkind, you know, at different points when I was shrieking on the top of my lungs about something or having a fight. And he's always just like a steady rock. And it's, it's, um, you know, Parenting is never done, and sometimes you feel like, am I doing it right? But, you know, as you said at one point, your kids, uh, everyone turns out, and you know, well, and they 
develop into amazing people. And they also develop into the age where, like, they're responsible for themselves and everything that's not amazing. You know what I mean? They just, they're, they're um, you know, and it sounds like you're kind of at that phase with two of your three kids, that they are, like, fully adults. And But you do write very uh, beautifully in the first chapter of your book about having a health scare, which is just a hilarious health scare, and everyone needs <laughs> to read the book. And we're not even going to tell – no spoilers here. Okay. You, you must read this book to figure out what in God's name happened to Kristen in the first chapter of this book because it is just, like, one of those freak stories that you're going to hear nowhere else. But – you wake up at one point and your parents are like by your bedside and you're you're thinking like I'm 54 or however old you were and like parenting never ends my parents are still worried next to me you know mm-hmm. have you seen that um as you've gotten older that 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 dynamic changes at all in any way that they're always there or just that your parent your relationship to them has changed no no and in fact if if I were to name a third chapter that was hard to write, it would be the one about aging parents because my parents are so important to me still. And I'm so grateful to them that it's hard to put that into words, right? Like it's hard for, to capture how I really feel about my parents. Um, but they, you know, I was thinking about this the other day, my parents, um, and I hope, Katie, that I can give this to my children and I hope you can give this to your children. And I hope this for all parents. Like my parents just moved into a, like a retirement home kind of place, whatever that's called. And so they have an apartment in this complex and I've only spent one night there because they just moved a couple months ago, but just being in that apartment and thinking about being in that apartment, which I hardly know at all now, right? Because it's brand new, makes me feel so calm. And it's because there's something for me about sleeping under my parents' roof that makes me feel like everything's okay. And I'm 56 years old. You know, like it, it I feel taken care of even at, you know, I'm, you know, I'll be 57, as I mentioned in a couple weeks, at the age of almost 57, I still feel well taken care of by my parents. I love that. I mean, I remember when I had my my daughter, who's now 20, and I, I had a very terrible delivery. I wound up having preeclampsia, and they were rolling me into the uh, the operating room, you know, out of the delivery room. And they said only one person could come. My husband and my mother were in the room. And Mike leaned over, and he's like, I'm coming with you. Because <laughs> he knew <laughs> if, if I had had my choice, I would have picked my mother. <laughs> like, <laughs> I was like, she was a hundred percent making me feel better. You know, I mean, she was the one that would like be in the bathroom when you were getting sick, rubbing your back. You know, when you were a little kid, and I just so much of that sense of um, care and support, you know, comes from your mom. So I, I love that you're. Of course, it makes sense that you sleep well. You're like, you know, back under the care of people that loved you. Um, before but does that go away? Like that's what I wonder. Like when your parents are no longer around. Does some does that feeling remain, or does something else replace that feeling? And if so, what is it? You know what I mean? Like I don't, I don't really, wa- I don't want to know, but eventually I will know. Right, we'll all know. We'll all know. I don't, I don't know that yet. My parents are both alive. My husband's parents are both alive. So that's that's like the, the I guess the Rubicon will cross at some point, which I'm not looking forward to. Um, no, it's awful. Our time is a little bit running out, but I do not want to let you go without following up on something that you share in one of your chapters. In one of your chapters, you start off by saying that there's something both liberating and terrifying 
about being unemployed in middle age. And I, I, I would just love to hear a little bit more about how you uh, you know, left Real Simple and started a new chapter. One of my earlier guests in March was somebody who, you know, lost a job and, you know, had a very challenging time during the pandemic, finding a new one. My day job is as a career coach. So I work with a lot of clients who are unemployed and looking. And and so much of our um, sense of worth is really, you know, linked to the, to the work we do. So I, w- I would love to hear a little bit about how you navigated that chapter because Real Simple is in your past, you know, can you walk us through that? Sure. Um, so it was a great job. Great, great, great job. Really fun. Um, I was there at a great time. And it was a job. I, I feel enormously lucky to have had a job where the skills required for the job and the skills I possess were so aligned. Um, it was just great. It, it was great, great, great. And then, but the last couple of years were not so great. The magazine industry was declining because people were reading things on their computers and on their phones. And so ad revenue was going way down. And so my job, there wasn't the kind of growth. There wasn't, you know, I, it, I'm, I'm pretty easily bored. So, and I had been in the job for a long time, for me at least. And the job wasn't changing enough because there was no money to invest to try new things. And I was firing people a lot by the end. And, and it just got very, um, it just started to feel very heavy and I was angry and unhappy. And so I quit at the end of 26, September, 2016. And, um, I said, I don't want to do anything. I had never taken a break. You know, I'd always worked from the time I graduated from college and I'd never been a working mom. I'd never been, sorry, rather a stay-at-home mom. Mm-hmm. And, and so all I wanted to do was take a pottery class, <laughs> and which I did. I took three semesters of this pottery class. Turns out I really suck at pottery. <laughs> um, but, and I was like, you know, I was, my, my youngest son, Axel, was in fourth grade when I left my job. So, you know, I like, I, I dropped, walked him down to school every day and I picked him up after school every day. And, you know, I made a lot of really interesting recipes I'd never tried before and, um, got super acquainted with my dogs and, you know, and, and had an unstructured kind of life that I always thought was out of my reach. Um, and it was liberating at first, it was liberating not to have to have my, my life governed by meetings and the Metro North train schedule. I mean, it was very, I was really, really, really fortunate to be able to have that time but after a while, I felt like I was really losing my sense of self. Um, I think I'm just a person who really likes having a job. And, um, and so I, you know, the last chapter in the book is about those two years and sort of the steps I took trying different things, kind of trying on different hats, basically, to see if they fit um, and realizing at a certain point that I just really missed going to an office and being part of a um, collaborative enterprise. Um, And so then I started working again as a literary agent um, where my skills that I possessed as a magazine editor are very, um, I mean, I was going to say complimentary, but they're sort of the same. Like magazine editors are professional dilettantes 
<laughs> and and a lot of literary agents are also professional dilettantes. And but in a good way. Is that on you know? your business like you card? A, <laughs> <laughs> professional it dilettante. Be. It's kind of a fun title, right? <laughs> professional dilettante. Um, and and so and and I was really happy to go back to work. Um, and so, what kind of books are you publishing now? So, what kind of books are you publishing with your? Oh gosh, it's all so far all nonfiction. And my clients, you know, the books I've sold for clients so far range everything from a cookbook um, that's coming out later this year to a narrative nonfiction examination of the relationship between um, African Americans and Native Americans around the time of the Civil War. So it really runs the gamut um the the types of projects i work on but but that's part of what's really fun about it so um anyway that i feel like that's kind of an unsatisfying oh can you hear my phone i can that's all right this is you know audio sounds good um should we I, okay that actually, actually katie that is such a good little um <laughs> uh, for the, for what am i trying to think of it's good that this is happening in your podcast because i'm a middle-aged person who has a landline and what you're hearing behind me is my <laughs> landline <again. laughs> oh my and god I, i'm one of like seven people in the united states of america who still has a landline i'm one of the seven too i'm <laughs> oh my god dave is raising his hand look at this is three this is dave our audio engineer the three of us have landlines we have my husband. Oh, dinosaurs, we I are think. dinosaurs. But I have a cordless phone my in my line. kitchen. Not I. Not a cordless. I have a phone with a cord. A corded phone in my kitchen. The house that we yeah, bought is a hundred years old, and it's got this like insane thing. And my kids have never like once tried to pick it up. I don't even think they know what it is. They're like they have no idea that that thing is a phone. It's so wild. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I, you know what? It's I'm happy to be in dinosaur territory. I don't know. It's it's all it's all good. That's what Listen, it's, when, when like cell service goes out and your landline still works, like who's who gets the last laugh? Exactly. Right? So. Exactly. Me, the dinosaur. We're going <laughs> to, well, you know, the dinosaurs actually didn't, maybe they're not the right, the right uh, metaphor because we know how, we, we know how it went for them, but we're going to hang around. We're, we're more like, I don't know. I'm trying to think of what would be the, we're more of like, um, I don't know. Who is the thing that is always being reborn out of the fire? What is that? Oh, the Phoenix? Yes. We're yeah. the Phoenix. <laughs> we're, we're Phoenixes. All right. Team Phoenix. It feels here. like it should have a plural. Phoenixes is such an awkward word. There must be like a different plural a word for the word Phoenix. Phoenix. I'm, I'm going to, we're, we're both. But because I'm a dilettante, because I'm a professional dilettante, I don't know what that word is. Well, I'm going to Google it and put it into the show notes. We're going to figure this out. And, and but the other thing we're going to need to figure out is like, what's a group of Phoenixes? You know how there's like a murder of crows oh, or yeah. there's a, yeah. a herd of elephants. I don't know. It's all those weird words. Um, Kristen, this has been well, so much you, fun. You, David, and I are a, <laughs> a flock of Phoenixes. We're a flock of Phoenixes. <laughs> all right. I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. Uh, Kristen, before I let you go, I'm wondering if there's anything that you want to share with our listeners i always because people have such great recommendations and you're a literary agent is there anything that you could recommend to our listeners oh gosh well okay i'm putting so you on the spot i'm not going to recommend one of my clients books because you can't play favorites it's like picking your favorite pick, child right? but i'm going to recommend i have two things to recommend one of them is a book by a woman who is a longtime friend of mine named Gabrielle Glazer. And the book is called American Baby. And it's about adoption 
in the United States. It tells the story of one particular adoption where a mother and a, her son were separated. But then it just talks about how in basically mostly in the 20th century in America, what a crooked system, the adoption system could be. So anyway, so I, it was, it was, it's nonfiction, but it's so well reported and it reads like a novel and it's amazing. And I just finished it. So American baby by Gabrielle Glazer. And then as I sit here looking out, we're recording this on a really, really dreary day that is still too cold for spring. And I'm still, and I think this is, uh, maybe not unique to women our age, but it's certainly a common problem for most of the women I know, particularly in the pandemic when we all were stuck at home, which is we were always cold all the time. <laughs> so I spent most of the pandemic from like, I don't know, October to now wearing lined pants. And Ooh. so I have these Carhartt fleece lined pants. They are what we used to call painter's pants. I guess. I don't even know what they're called now. Um, that I wore probably three times a week during the entire winter because they, they were the one thing that kept me warm. So I would recommend to Carhartt fleece line pants. <laughs> you, you had me at fleece lines. That's amazing. I'm in an old house too. I have, I, I, I know that that pandemic chill. I love that. I'm going to check that out. Uh, Chris, Wait, how I can, will, go, yes, can go. I add one quick thing? Of course. So L.L. Bean, L.L. Bean also has flannel lined pants Ooh! but since i'm quite an expert now in this area unfortunately in my experience fleece lined pants are a lot warmer okay all right fleece this word the why all right i'm <laughs> staying away from that flannel ella bean also brings me back to like maybe being in eighth grade and and i don't want to i don't want to relive those days. <laughs> car, car hat sounds like a little bit more rugged and, and, and more fun so I, yeah. will, I will put those in the show notes. Kristen, how can our listeners keep you know, following you in your, in your writing and um, your book? Well, um, you can buy my book um, wherever books are sold. I'm always encouraging people to go to their local independent bookstores these days because they've taken such a hit in the pandemic. Um, but the book's on Amazon, too. Uh, and on social, you can follow me on Instagram, which is at kvanogtrap, or on Twitter at kvanogtrap. And my website is kristenvanogtrap.com. Kristen, thank you so much for being with me today. Oh my gosh, Katie, this was so much fun. Thank you for liking my book and, and I love your podcast and it was a real pleasure to be here. Ah, thank you. This wraps A Certain Age, a show for women over 50 who are aging without apology. All April long, we're taking inspiration from Kristen's book and talking out loud about topics that don't get enough airtime. We'll cover bladder health and why you're afraid to sneeze, midlife hair and going gray, and a host of other only in midlife moments. If you enjoyed the show, please head to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to review the show. Reviews help us grow. So if you take a minute to write a quick one, I have some fun, a certain age swag I want to send you. Write a review, let me know, and I'll mail you two a certain age laptop stickers with our taglines, Age Boldly Beauties and Age Out Loud. Yes, you heard that correctly. You'll get actual mail, the old-fashioned kind. How fun is that? See you next time, and until then, age boldly, beauties.